You're listening to the ESO Network, your station for all things geek. From the author of the book by the same name, it's The Best Saturdays of Our Lives Podcast with Mark McRae. Hey everyone, this is Mark McRae and welcome to The Best Saturdays of Our Lives. And joining me, of course, is my awesome co-host, Dan Klink. And today, we're jumping into Nintendo. Saturday morning. morning. <laughs> cool. Yeah. So, you know, we had a fun time talking about Atari on Saturday morning a, a few podcast episodes back. And we talked about how Pac-Man sort of kicked everything off and turned out to be a, a pretty big ratings winner. And that opened up the floodgates for a lot of the other Atari uh, games to come into play, including Frogger, Donkey Kong with Mario and Pauline, Donkey Kong Jr., Qbert. These cartoons ruled pretty much from 1982 through 1985. And, right. uh, they were, they proved to be really successful for a long time. And what I thought was really interesting, it opened up the door to a whole new genre on Saturday morning that you never saw before. Oh, that's right. That's right. A genre that almost collapsed and disappeared along with the home video game market. <laughs> Uh, I think it was 1983, E.T. came out, uh, people saw, began to see Atari and other home systems fads, a fad that was crashing. Again, I said last time, I'll say it this time, that's all for another podcast. That's, <laughs> that's for some other dudes to sit around and pontificate about. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> what we know is that after that happened, in terms of production times, in terms of, you know, what it takes to, you know, from concepts to, to television, you know, that could be one to two years process right so you know had things been in real time i think the saturday morning cartoons would have disappeared probably spring of 84 but because there's that turnaround time they were still kind of able to hold on and slink into 85 uh, a point when no one was buying video game systems until this little company out of japan rolled some dice and in the new york market for the christmas of 85 put out their video game system to see what would happen you know the name of that system was mark nintendo that's right. Now you have the power. Nintendo came out and uh, it, it re it, it it you could say it revitalized the home video game market. I say it truly established the home video game market because there hasn't really been a dip since. Nintendo came in and it was like this huge game changer. Right. Kids that wouldn't normally have been playing with video games wanted to play with a Nintendo system. After they established themselves at uh, around 1989, they started pumping out their first cartoons. First up, we had the Super Mario Brothers Super Show, produced by Geek Enterprises. Saban Productions, as well as Nintendo, were in the mix. And this, right. the series also included The Legend of Zelda, which was, you know, also produced by Deke Enterprises and Nintendo of America, but Saban Entertainment was not involved in the Zelda portion. Zelda portion of a of, of the greater whole. Right. Uh, yeah, no, we'll definitely get into some production mysteries on this in a moment. Uh, before I forget, I certainly would be remiss if I didn't mention that in the live action portion of the show, uh, we got Captain Lou Albano. 
as Super Mario himself. Oh, yeah, which is pretty cool. And uh, for you kids that don't know who Lou Albino, <laughs> Albino. <laughs> for for those of you who know that I can't pronounce Lou Albino's uh, last name, uh, he was a wrestling legend and also played the dad in one of Cindy Lauper's iconic music videos. Uh, girls just want to have fun. Oh yeah, girls just want to have fun, dude. Right, get out of the way, Lou. Right, girls just want to have fun. Also on the show, you had actor Danny Wells as Luigi and uh, Janine Elias as Princess Toadstool. You know, in a later episode, we'll also get into individual markets, networks around the country that weren't showing the same thing and had their own in-house programming. There was also a King Koopa's Cool Cartoons that came out of Los Angeles. Wow. That was a bizarre live action thing. Oh, I just love the title. It sounds like something a kid would get excited over. Oh, yeah. This guy dressed up like King Koopa. The cartoons they showed appear to be damn near public property at this point. Mm-hmm. Like the copyright has run out. Right. And yeah, he was like a, he was like a surly Bozo the Clown. Oh, that was I basically love it. the format. That's basically <laughs> the format. A little, little more cartoon heavy than, you know, gag heavy, but uh Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so back to this this Super Mario Bros. Super Show. Mm-hmm. A Mario cartoon and a Zelda cartoon. Right. The overall product is Deke, Saban, and Nintendo of America. Right. But the Zelda element is simply Deke and Nintendo of America. There's no Saban. Yeah, exactly. Um, actually, there was another a Cy Young animation. Kind of took the place of Saban. Okay. But still... It kind of makes me wonder, like, why Saban wasn't interested. And the only thing that I could think of is that perhaps Saban wanted to get more behind the marquee name of Super Mario Brothers. And they weren't particularly interested in Zelda. This is your era, Dan. So, like, so let's... So why the hell? Yeah, so give us some insights on why you think this happened. Well, it's all bundled into one show. It's all under this one marquee. Uh, we got this live action hijinks happening, but you still have two animated properties. The live action is there to sell, in my opinion, to sell it, sell the product in the here and now. In terms of reruns, in terms of syndic- even though this was running first time syndication, when it, when it was going to boomerang back around to syndication, so to speak, those live actors are operating under different contracts than the animators in the animation studios. Ah, so. To do a rerun to throw Captain Lou Albano up there, Captain Lou Albano is going to have to get a check. Right. You know? Oh, for sure. So they wouldn't want that. Uh, what were the lengths of these individual cartoons? I'm guessing uh, 11, 11 minutes. minutes. <laughs> Boom. Yeah. You know how these two 11-minute cartoons that can be sold together or maybe license them out individually for stations like USA, which lived and died on 11-minute long animation. Right. And and you also have to understand that companies like Deke and, and Saban, I mean, they were movers and shakers on a global level. And they worked with partners from all over the world. And, and it was like a real game changer. In the animation right. world. And so the way that kids viewed content in the United States was totally different than how those same cartoons were viewed in the UK market or the Asia market. Yeah, in the in the US market. Another show with almost a, a variety format sans any live action was Captain N, the Game Master. Uh, now that came out in 89 as well. Mm-hmm. But... In season two, and ended up uh, becoming part of a an hour long block that incorporated the next incarnation of Super Mario Brothers, which is Super Mario Brothers three. You see, the Zelda Super Mario Power Hour that whole thing was one season. 
Right. And then this new show, Captain N, the Game Master, appears. Uh, by 90, the show would have brought back Super Mario as Mario 3. Right, right. And then season three of Captain N would have that evolve even more into Super Mario World, following along concurrently with what video games were being dropped in America. <laughs> it, was to, it was to coincide with all of that. Oh my gosh, my head just exploded. Yeah, uh, mine too, and I was, the one, I was the one reading all of that. <laughs> Welcome to Dr. Geek's Laboratory. Hello, everyone. Dr. Geek here with a shout-out to all the scientists who worked tirelessly to bring a COVID-19 vaccine into reality. <laughs> Let's face it, creating something of this magnitude is a miracle worthy of Dr. McCoy himself. And now, Dr. Geek needs you to do your part. Remember, each shot is one small step back to normal, one giant leap to putting the pandemic behind us. We can do this. For more information, visit vaccines.gov to find your nearest provider. So let's rewind. So 1989, we have Captain N, the Game Master. Same year, we have Super Mario Bros. Super Show. Right. Oh, wait. Captain N and the Game Master was on Saturday morning, whereas... The other show, Super Mario. That was an everyday syndicated show. Boom. Right. Okay. And Zelda was syndicated also. But meanwhile, back at the ranch, you had this other component, Captain N, running on Saturday morning. Right. So, right. It all makes sense because when <laughs> Super Mario and Zelda got dropped, because that show only ran from September to December of 1989. They just took all those elements and threw it into Captain N as an hour show. Oh, okay. Got it. Right. Season two premiered Super Mario Brothers 3, and season three had Super Mario World. Right. The Game Master did pretty well ratings-wise on Saturday morning. What, what was Captain N? The character of Captain N first appeared in Nintendo Power Magazine, created by, oh. by a Nintendo staff member. Right, okay. The uh, premise of the actual series, though, involved a guy named... The character's name was Kevin Keane. He was a teenager from Northridge, Los Angeles, California. And hey, Northridge. <laughs> I used to live in Northridge. Oh, my gosh. And in order to fulfill an ancient prophecy, Kevin is destined to become the hero Captain N, the Game Master, and save Videoland from the evil forces led by... Mother Brain. Wow. Mm -hmm. Well, okay. Yeah. So, um, but apparently here you have a series that didn't have as much, uh, I guess, street cred as right. Super Mario Brothers and Zelda, but managed to capture an audience on Saturday morning. And yeah. Saturday morning's audience is usually bigger than, you know, afternoon syndication. So right. I thought it was kind of interesting that Captain N sort of became the breakout. And to be fair, I hadn't heard about Captain N until I had interviewed Robbie London, uh, who was one of the executives at Deke Enterprises for my book, The Best Saturdays of Our Lives, available on my website, tbsol.com. Anyway, yep, yep. <laughs> and then when I interviewed Robbie, I didn't really ask him any further questions about Captain N. Right. He laid out for me what he thought was Deke Enterprises' successful animated content. And Captain N was one of the shows that was listed. Season two of Captain N, they bring Super Mario onto the show. Right. But this time, it's the Adventures of Super Mario 3. Right. To coincide with the release 
of the Super Mario 3 video game. Right, which is was so smart and progressive. I mean, if, if Mario was yeah. going to come back, maybe the, the, the powers that be said, you know what, it didn't do so great in syndication. Captain N is a hit. We can anchor Captain N to this new Super Mario series, and hopefully that would, you know, help the show find success. And voila, it worked. Yep. Uh, so much so that for season three of Captain N, they changed the Mario show yet again into Super Mario World. Right. To coincide with the Super Nintendo and the release of the new Super Nintendo game. Yes. Yes. So, again, um, it was really smart programming strategy as well as the animation studio working closely with Nintendo to make it all happen. You didn't see that type of marketing strategy on Saturday morning a lot. No, no. In fact, I was going to say that's that's some of the special sauce right there. Right. That lent to the success of Nintendo on television, which has to have led to its success as 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 a video game machine. That connection between Nintendo of America and the animation that you never really saw with Atari and the Atari era of games, that close control and relationship with the product. And to be fair, you know, there were times on Saturday morning from a network studio strategy where the heavens aligned, you know, but it just did not happen a lot. So by this time, Saturday morning, or I should say revenue generating Saturday morning had been around for (laughs) almost, (laughs) you know, 30 years. And so by this point... Like, there are new players in the game, like Deke Enterprises and Saban, and they have a completely different worldview about how content should be distributed globally. And working with Nintendo, in my opinion, was like the perfect marriage because both the animation studios and Nintendo were sort of on the same page. Hey, why not release a new cartoon at the same time we are releasing a game? I mean, if you're a fan of Super Mario Brothers, that's something that's definitely going to make your mind blown. That you get brand new episodes of your favorite Nintendo character as well as a new game at the same time. I mean, I just think it was just smart and really progressive. Welcome to the Ring of Thunder, the most electrifying wrestling podcast in the Thunderverse and the ESO network. From the power of the people's host, Sexy Thor, critics say, it doesn't matter what the critics say. You already know you're in for a hammer swinging, burrito eating, mic blazing, hair raising time with this weekly wrestling adventure, WWE, AEW, Impact, and whatever else I can possibly fit. If you hear what the Thunder is talking. Hello there. I can see you have great taste in podcasts. Keep your discerning streak going with the Soul Forge podcast. No topic is off limits on the Soul Forge. We talk about life, toys, dating, geekiness, love, nerdiness, sex and dating, TV, movies, and just about anything you can think of. Check out the Soul Forge podcast. Soulforgepodcast.com and wherever you find your podcasts. We're everywhere. Moving into Saturday morning on the 90s, Saturday morning ceased to be almost the complete dominion of Nintendo at that point. And one of their arch nemeses, their competitor Sega, moved in with Sonic the Hedgehog. 
Oh, yeah. Uh, I have such uh, really fond personal memories of, of Sega. When uh, my oldest son, Jomar, was little, I bought the Sega game for him as a, you know, for Christmas. And right. of course, my wife, Joy, said, you better test it out because Jomar is going to be really disappointed if that game doesn't work. And I said, you're oh, right. Devastated. <laughs> I said, you're right. I think I will test it out. <laughs> Right. And I did. And um, it worked fine. And then she had to tell me to stop playing with it. <laughs> yeah. yeah you know, right. It's kind of funny. Right. Yeah, but, I have no uh, problem with it. I'm playing with it. Okay. It's good. Now put it away. Oh, I know. I know. But I just remember it just seemed like for that particular Christmas, I can't remember the year, everybody had this game. In the cartoon, airing in 1993, going through 94, was a Deke Productions LP, along with Rittitalia, SPA, mm -hmm. and Telecinco. Right. All wow. ganged up to bring us Sonic the Hedgehog on Saturday morning. Yeah, really interesting. I never heard of Rattalia or Telecinco, but... <laughs> Rattalia and Telecinco. <laughs> but, um, but, you know, Deke, again, being very progressive um, in... Uh, acquiring known properties. That was their strategy. Um, the series ran on ABC Saturday morning. And I mean, it did all right, you know, ratings wise. Um, it ran from 1993 to 1994, you know, not exactly burning up the charts, but, um, you know, doing decent, respectful ratings. Well, sort of, you know, in the waning days of Saturday morning, I mean, what network was it on? It was on ABC. By this point, NBC was already preparing to ditch Saturday morning altogether. Yeah, yeah. They had ditched Saturday morning the year before in uh, 1992, yeah. you know, dropping their entire schedule for the Today Show and a lot of Saved by the Bell. <laughs> yeah, right, right. You and know? That's, that's exactly what I wanted to watch on Saturday morning. <laughs> yeah. Y yeah, so networks were really trying to figure out how to grab kids' attention during this time. Uh, Cartoon Network had also launched in 1992. So, you know, you also had the cable 25-hour kid networks eating away at the uh, already eroding Saturday morning audience. What was still seemed to what still seemed to have some legs though was after school syndication, and that's where we find Mega Man, the right. cartoon series. Uh, Ninety six, that was a Ruby Spears production along with uh, Ashi Productions, mm -hmm. uh, that ran for a couple of years, ninety four to ninety six. Yeah, and. What I found interesting about it is, you know, Nintendo and Mega Man are synonymous with each other. You don't think Mega Man without thinking Nintendo. Well, Mega Man is technically a Capcom property. It's not owned by Nintendo. So this would have been the game developer making their own choice to move their IP forward into animation. Correct. Yeah. So, um, well, Mega Man was a favorite of mine that I did watch every afternoon. I liked it. I liked the series. And I thought that you know, Ruby Spears did a really good job with it. Okay. The show had a budget of 300000 an episode. Oh, my mm. gosh. Yeah, they were playing. That's a lot. And although they did take some liberties with the designs of the characters, by and large, I felt it stayed very faithful to the brand, both in aesthetic and concept. Yeah. And, you know, the series did really well ratings-wise. Uh, it ran for two years, and a third season was actually planned but uh, supposedly the game distributor, Capcom, right? Uh, they decided to pull the plug. Um, and oh, the, interesting. And, and word on the street was that Mega Man, the toy line, wasn't necessarily meeting its sales expectations. 
Oh, well, you know, back then, and this is this is when cartoons kind of make that, you know, as Saturday morning disappears, cartoons eventually by the end of the 90s have to be, stand more on their content because of certain regulations that uh, separate them from merchandise. And this would have been in that weird fade period, if you will, where for a cartoon to succeed under the old model, certainly in the under the 80s model, it had to have a merchandise tie in in right. order to survive. Right. So uh, it's too bad. <laughs> It almost makes you think that, well, I guess I'm answering my own question here, is that the reason the series was created was to sell toys. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, which isn't uh, exactly a, a new concept. Right. You know, right. but I guess I sort of come from the school where, sure, that's the business reason you want to sell toys, but at the same time, you want to deliver really great animation content that kids are going to enjoy that may or may not necessarily buy the toy. Right. You know. If we want to talk about a show based on a video game, a show that was designed to not just sell its own game, but kind of walk a higher path educationally, and that was Where on Earth is Carmen Sandiego? Where on Earth is Carmen Sandiego, the animated series based on a video game made a huge splash on Fox Kids Network in 1994. Also, Deke Enterprises was behind that series as well. The game, Where on Earth is Common San Diego, was created by a company called Broadabound. The series has the distinction of winning an Emmy Award. Oh, wow. Video game-based show winning an Emmy. Right. Oh, that's cool. Now, I talk about the series a lot in my book. And one of the things that I do remember while tracking Where on Earth is Common San Diego in real time is that Fox Kids moved this series everywhere, all over right. the schedule. It was crazy, you know, trying to right. find an audience, which, you know, when you're a programmer, that's what you're supposed to do. And yeah. it's one of those instances where Common San Diego was an educational game and right. it dealt a lot with geography. Yeah. And normally, post-social educational cartoon shows or live-action shows on Saturday morning are kept out of traffic. Right. Traffic on Saturday morning was like 10 a.m. to 12 noon. Okay. You know, so that's where your, your Fat Alberts and your CBS Children's Film Festival, they all started after 12 o'clock. Because a lot of times those type of programs could not survive earlier on the schedule. But I give it to Fox they tried it anyway. And the series had really good production values. There was a lot of traditional 2D animation as well as 3D elements. Right. And uh, the animation was pretty good. Yeah. I mean, once the memes, it stuck around. They, I mean, hell, five years. They kept pushing it for five years, bouncing it around the schedule. Five years. Mm -hmm. they, they certainly saw something in it. Why, why do you think it kept it alive that long? Well... You know, I think sometimes when a series is critically acclaimed and wins an Emmy, yeah, you know, yeah. a, a network definitely wants to keep a series like that around. Prestige. It's, 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 a, it's a prestige show that they can put on their uh, portfolio. Right, right. And I think it made all the watchdog groups happy that the series was there, I'm sure. It could have been also partially running cover for X-Men. <laughs> you know? As in, yeah, sure, there's a lot of violence and mature content, but look at Carmen Sandiego. Right, right. But, but look at what we're also doing. Right, exactly. You know, it's, 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 a, it's a fair argument, for oh. sure, because X-Men was definitely not holding back. 
at all. No, no. And X-Men revitalized Saturday morning. It was so awesome and, and, and mature. It definitely was. And uh, Batman the Animated Series wasn't holding back either or Power nope. Rangers. And so it was kind of good to see Carmen Sandiego just hang in there with the other commercially successful series. And the fact that the network still treating it not as a pro-social series that gets put at 12 o'clock or 1230. It actually is part of the family and gets a regular time slot with all the other Saturday morning programs. Hello. Have you ever wondered how much Jerry Siegel and Joe Schuster sold Superman's rights to DC4? Or which uh, popular football star was Sam Wilson the Falcon's physical appearance based on? You can find all that and more at the History of Comics podcast, a podcast dedicated to the creators, events, history, and the companies that made the great comic book medium. Hosted and created by your friendly neighborhood, J.T. Wheatley. Please give it a listen at iTunes, Spreaker, Stitcher, and all our podcasting platforms. Thank you, and go ahead and enjoy yourself a good comic book. All right, Mark. So remember a few episodes back, Atari on Saturday morning, I told you how badly I had failed a dragon's lair with my great-grandfather? Oh, yeah. That was a great story. Yeah, thanks. Thanks. I'm glad my uh, misery is fueling someone's entertainment. <laughs> well, well, I've got another one that rolls into video games. Oh, really? Yeah, so... By the summer of 87, our household wasn't completely unfamiliar with consoles. Uh, a brother of mine dug an old Pong machine out of a dumpster and managed to uh, get that playing. Uh, he also had a ColecoVision with an Atari adapter. Uh, old car- cartridge machines like in television, ColecoVision, Atari competitors, you'd be able to get these aftermarket adapters to turn it into an Atari machine. Wow. Yeah, but that too, just like the soldered together dumpster Pong, was fleeting because my brother spent most of his year with his father. So, near the end of the summer of 1987, our parents had finally succumbed to my other siblings and and mine screaming and raving and begging for a video game machine. So, we drove down to the North County Fair Mall, Escondido, California's premier mall in the North County of San Diego. And the entire time I was chanting a commercial that was playing 24-7. The fun is back! Oh yes, sirree, it's the 2600 from Atari. It's the video system with classics galore, from space invaders to cars that roar. A real hit joystick controls the screen, Solaris is hot and Midnight Magic's mean. And one more thing, it's got a special low price, under 50 bucks. 50 bucks? Now isn't that nice? The point is back, oh yes, sirree. It's the 2600 from Atari. Only 50 bucks, 50 bucks. Now, isn't that nice? The old machine, the old Atari, they had streamlined and were selling it for $50. And that's what I kept badgering my parents. It's only 50 bucks. It's only 50 bucks. Atari, Atari. We get down there and inside the KB toy store is this video game machine and the robot and this whole display for something called Nintendo. And on the television, it looked like, I think it was uh, Zelda was playing on the TV in demo mode. My mom took a good hard look at that while I'm looking at all the Ataris and I'm like, oh my God. Like, look at the games. They're all they're they're all ten bucks. How, how can you go? How can you go wrong? This is perfect. Fifty dollar right, machine. Right. Bingo. We we did it. We made it. And she comes over. She's looking at the Ataris, and she's like, "Do I look at the Nintendos?" And I'm like, "Nope." All right. And I'm looking at the Ataris some more, and I see this this other Atari. This Atari seventy eight hundred. It's like eighty nine dollars or a hundred dollars, and it's better than the old Atari. And I'm like, "Oh my god! There's this new Atari." Oh. So a second time, my mom comes up. And is like, "Hey, are you sure you don't want to look at this Nintendo?" And I'm thinking, we've had this ColecoVision on and off in our house with an Atari adapter. 
maybe maybe I'll take a look at this Nintendo. And I'm checking it out. I look at the, the person in the front register and I ask, are Atari games compatible on this Nintendo? <laughs> and he's like, looking at me like, uh, no. I'm like, oh, okay, maybe you misunderstood. Is there an adapter I can get to plug into this Nintendo to make Atari games work? And he's like, no, buddy, that's not, no, that's never going to happen. And I'm sitting here going, oh, well, that's dumb. And I'm like, well, what does the cartridge look like? Thinking like maybe he doesn't understand what I'm asking. And he pulls out this very bizarre shaped, you know, square with weird notches in it. If anyone's seen an original NES video game, you know, it doesn't look anything like an Atari cartridge. Right. Well, that that does it. That does it. I'm just like, (laughs) man, what a bunch of amateurs. So my mom and I are at lunch and she's like, well, I looked real hard at the Nintendo and the guy says this is the hot new. And I'm like, mom, it doesn't even play Atari games. (laughs) It's a fad. Nintendo's junk. We need to stick with Atari. And she's like, all right, well, I also saw the Atari 7800. And I'm like, right, so did I. Hey, we're on the same page. We're going to get the top shelf Atari today, everybody. And sure enough, we got a 7800, a copy of Galaga. It came with Pole Position 2, Xevious. That was a fun one. And within three odd months of that, Christmas of 87 rolled around, and everyone had a Nintendo. Oh, wow. And I realized, oh, my God, what have I done? So for a year and a half, uh, we waddled in our Atari while the rest of the world was was playing playing Super Mario Brothers. Wow! <laughs> wow! 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 What I really find funny about your story is the fact that you were just so sure and adamant, <laughs> yep. and your mom was willing to pay for Nintendo, where I'm sure a lot of mothers at the time was like. They want how much for what? Exactly. But exactly. she was willing and she was willing to do it. And you were like, nope. <laughs> yeah. Yep. 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 That is so funny. Know it all nine year old me talked my mom out of buying us a Nintendo. Too funny. <laughs> that is too funny. Well, at least the salesperson told your mom it was the future. I remember when I went to go buy my first stereo VCR. Right. And it was almost the same argument. You know, networks are not broadcasting in stereo, but they will be soon. Right. right. And, you know, the guy wasn't wrong. But <laughs> you know what he said that turned me off from the sale? What's that? He's, you know, and I think he thought he was helping, but he wasn't. Right. He said, you'd be a fool not to buy it. Yeah. Well, then I'd be a fool to let you get a commission with that kind of attitude. Buddy. Right. But thanks for the info. And I went and took my sale and bought my stereo VCR from somewhere else. That's right. That's right. (laughs) But he really thought that he was helping, you know. And I'm like, dude, you need to work on your sales presentation because you don't say that to the customer. Well, you know what? I would like to say that to the the KB associate who was there speaking to my mom. I wish that he would have upped his sales game so he could have outwitted a know-nothing nine-year-old from convincing his mom to run our whole video game budget off a cliff and sink it into Atari. (laughs) Oh my gosh. It's, It's like, wow. Do you like podcasts? Then you're gonna hate Thunder Talk. Tasteless subject matter. Mature humor. Contempt for our co-hosts. Unapologetic social views. Edgy music. And total irreverence for the nerd junk we love. Are all reasons why no one. No one. No one should listen to Thunder Talk. Find us on the ESO Network. And all podcasting platforms. Or don't. Whatever.
Well, you know, you may have noticed that we've been a little uh, frictional in our episode dropping lately. I uh, I had emergency oral surgery and a cracked tailbone. What's your excuse? <laughs> What's my excuse? <laughs> no, the audience. <laughs> oh, I got gotcha. you. No, your excuse would be you got roped into a podcast with a guy who had emergency oral surgery <laughs> and, a, and a cracked tailbone. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. And, you know, I guess my excuse is I can't do the podcast unless Dan is on the podcast with me. Or it would be yeah. a very boring podcast. I mean, I'd be able to lay out some facts for everyone, but it's just much more fun when Dan and I are, you know, laying out the facts to everyone, you know, together. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. Thank you, Mark. You know, I appreciate that. And I would probably end up having some kind of psychotic fit where if this were on video, you might think I was keeping my toenail clippings in a special drawer, you know, wearing tinfoil on my head. <laughs> yeah, I would I would slowly descend into madness on, on the air. And nobody wants that. Actually, that could make for some good ratings. <laughs> you know, Mark, if ever I lose my faculties, uh, you become my power of attorney. I want you to make it completely legal and proper to put a microphone in front of me uh, for profit. <laughs> All right, if you say so, but I think we need to put it in writing, though. Oh, yeah, we'll get our, we'll get our legal team on mm-hmm, it right mm-hmm. now. Yeah, for sure. You know, because when you're in the situation, you might change your mind. And then I could say, but your contract stipulates that if. Then I could just repeat everything that you just told me right now on this podcast. Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure it'll be. I mean, I've already. Yeah, I think that's a mic drop, actually. The Best Saturdays of Our Lives podcast is a co-production of the Best Saturdays of Our Lives studios and the Weirdos Workshop. To get a personalized signed copy of the Best Saturdays of Our Lives book, go to thebestsaturdaysofourlives.com. This is Mark McRae signing off. This has been a broadcast of the ESO Network. Be part of the crew and help support our shows by donating to our ESO Patreon or by shopping for the Tee Public Store, which can all be found at www.esonetwork.com. The ESO Network, your station for all things geek.